0: guys. Well good evening everybody and uh, like Brad said welcome to Connect. Um, My name is Roland and it is really cool to be together. If if you're new with us just want to recap with you quickly what we've been doing. We are we are finishing off a series called Reimagining Church. We've been um, this will be the fourth week in the series but so far um, we've uh, we've looked at a couple of things that God has convicted us to look at um, as a church um, and, and and have unpacked it in such a way, I hope, that has encouraged us to be excited again about what God intends for the church and what the church really is. So week one, we looked at the fact that the church is not a building we are the church the people of god are the church as we come together with the local church as we disperse we are the dispersed church we are the universal church but you are the body of Christ the church of God the church is not a building we looked at that and it was just for me so freeing and so exciting to be reminded that God has his church everywhere not just here Then the second week, we looked at the church's purpose and mission. The purpose is to bring glory to God, and we do that through our mission, which is to edify and encourage the body of believers and to go out there and to preach the gospel and make disciples of people who make disciples of people. That was our mission. That was week number two. And then last week, John spoke about why we come together. And one of the things that stuck out for me there was we come together because God's people are serious about their faith. We, We come together to encourage each other to use our gifts to worship God, but because we're serious about our faith. That's why we come together. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at what it means to be the church in the world, the church outside of the building. What we do when we come together really is amazing. It really is exciting. But if that's all we do, we've really missed the point. It's like a rugby team that gets together to train, to play rugby matches. You can spend all the time you want in-house training and developing your skills and getting really good at what you do, and practice is fun. You're right. It's great to hone your skills and to build team um, camaraderie and team spirit. It really is good to encourage one another and to get strong, but if you don't um, move outside of the training space and into the actual game against another team, it's pretty pointless. And it's the same with the church. There's a real sense in what we do when we come together is great, but we do it for a specific reason, that is to go out and to be the church in the world. The church really has to leave the building. It was never meant to stay behind closed doors. The church was designed by God to be a living, breathing, life-giving entity overflowing with love and power and purpose for the world to see, not just behind closed doors. The church is is meant to be christ's bride on display to the world that's what we're meant to be we're not just meant to be sitting here on sundays on our comfortable chairs and then leaving and going home and becoming undercover covert christians our christian duty is to go out and to and to live out our faith where our neighbors are jesus says in matthew chapter 28 all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus says. Now, tonight I was really, um, to- like not toying with, but wrestling with which direction should this message go in. And then God just dropped this into my heart and into my mind. I, and I know that you know that this message that Jesus gives is for all Christians at all times. At least most of us know that. And I know that you know and I know that we're meant to be going out. But I don't think that we're supposed to be spending our time tonight biblically convincing one another that our mandate is to go. I think most of us know that. I would go as far as to say I think most of us even deeply desire that. But here's the challenge despite that knowledge and despite that desire, there are still a lot of Christians, myself included, that are quite embarrassed by the lack of preaching of the gospel outside of the church walls that I do, that we do together. We hardly ever tell anyone about our faith, and if it is a telling of our faith, it's more an inviting of a person to come to church, and then we've really stepped out. When we're outside the church, like I said, we become covert and undercover Christians. And I think a lot of us carry guilt because of that, because we know we should be being the church and we really deeply desire to be the church, but we just aren't being the church. And so for me, I was wrestling with this idea of what the problem could be. If if it's not a knowledge issue, I know I should be going. If it's not a desire issue, I desire to be the church, I really do. What is the problem? What's stopping me? And I really feel like for most of us, it's a fear issue. It's, it's at its root it's a fear issue and it's and it's the fear of rejection and failure we are so scared to be rejected and we're scared to fail and then it's also inadequacy and fear as a result of inadequacy we just don't know if we have what it takes to do what God is calling us to do or we at least feel like we don't have it at all or don't have anything to bring so tonight I really feel like the Lord wants us to speak into these things and and trusting the spirits to bring insight and refreshing and encouragement and breakthrough into our lives because we are the church and god has equipped us you're not inadequate and fear needs to loose itself from our lives so one of the main points we're going to have two main points now the main one is one of the the first one is this how do we deal practically with the issue of fear one of the ways we deal with fear is to adjust our expectations and our perspectives and get some biblical perspective and biblical um, Expectations in place in our lives. I use this analogy quite often, but when I first played paintball, I was in grade eight, and I didn't even know paintball existed. It was like a new thing. And a friend had a birthday party, and we went to go play paintball. And uh, I was so excited. I really wanted to play. I looked forward the whole the whole week to this thing. And eventually, the Friday came. It was a great day. We went down to go play paintball, and um, we played five games. It, it, It took the whole afternoon. Right, um, because most of us just sat in one place. We just sat, and I, I, I sat in the base. Right, I was like, I'll take one for the team and protect the base. But inside, I was like, I'm here because this is the least possible place for me to get shot. Right, and I had this expectation that paintball was going to be fun, but it was actually incredibly terrifying, and I didn't want to get shot. I didn't want to. Right. And as my other teammates played and as they got shot, so they had these really cool war stories and bruises to show, and they were all sitting in a group talking about it, and there I came out of the base, all right, pretending like I'd done such a good job, but really like deeply disappointed that I hadn't enjoyed the game as much as they had. So I soon got over that, I realized I had to adjust my expectations. I'm like, if I'm playing paintball, I'm gonna get shot. This is gonna happen. It's like someone saying to you, hey, I would really like to become a very good swimmer, but I don't want to get wet. You're like, yeah. You're going to have to adjust your expectations, otherwise this is not going to be possible. So how does this apply to being the church out in the world? Well, I think the reality is this. If we're going to be obedient to God, if we're going to fulfill our mandate, if if we're going to be kingdom people who, who go outside of the walls of the church, you are going to be rejected. You are going to be persecuted. People are not going to be happy with the message. That's just the reality of it. Jesus says this, he says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. He says this in Matthew 10, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's more like when the world hates you. Just keep in mind that it hated me first. Then Jesus says, I am am sending you out. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. When you enter a town and are not welcome, or welcome go into the streets and say even the dust of the town you wipe off from your feet as a warning to you anyone who accepts you or accepts your message is also accepting me and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me that's just the reality of being the church we're going to be rejected people aren't going to accept us we're going to be ill-received that's just how it is and i know that's difficult to to get our heads around sometimes but if you're going to overcome the fear that you need to overcome We need to be understanding that our perspectives have to shift or our our expectations at least have to shift. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to prepare to engage and to be engaged in the world. If we expect to never be rejected and constantly well-received, when you are rejected and when you aren't well-received, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be taken aback. You're going to be embarrassed because you're going to think that you failed. You're going to be deflated because you're going to think that you weren't successful. You're going to be demotivated because you think you've got this thing wrong. And what's going to happen is you're going to become defensive and you're going to avoid all contact, which in a sense renders you useless regardless of how much you desire to fulfill the mandate or how much you know you should be fulfilling it. Is that saying, once bitten twice sharp. Well, I think that's what happens to us quite often as Christians when we go out there. But if we adjust our expectations according to God's word, we're a little bit more prepared for the realities of what it means to be church out there. Jesus never promised it would be easy, but he did promise to go with us every single step of the way and to empower us to do this. When it when it changed for me, playing painful, right, when I adjusted my expectations, and if we adjust our expectations going out into the world, it's not going to become easy, but it's going to become easier. And you're not going to become... Well, you're not going to be caught off guard. It even becomes a joy sometimes because you know that Paul also rejoiced in his sufferings. He rejoiced in trial and temptation and persecution because he was suffering for the name of Jesus. There's this perspective that we have that when we go out there and we reject it and Jesus goes, this is what's going to happen when you're doing a good job. When it happens, you go, wow, I'm not taking this person. This person is broken like I was broken. These people are broken like I was broken. And Jesus said this would happen. This means I'm doing a good thing. I can expect this. We don't become, we don't take it so personally when that happens. But if I took it personally, every time a mate shot me in paintball, I'd be a very sad person. Nathan shot me the other day, twice. So our perspectives have to change and our expectations have to change. I think there's this prevailing idea out there that every time we step out, every time we step out, someone has to be saved. Someone has to be healed or raised from the dead. Someone has to be delivered and and so on and so on. And I think that because of our somewhat self-imposed ideas of what success is, we've become disillusioned and discouraged. I think that's what's happened. But God defines success for us in this one word, obedience. Here's what Jesus says in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And the command was to go to love one another and to love God it doesn't really matter whether you're rejected whether someone says no to your desire to pray for them it doesn't really matter whether someone was healed or not healed or saved or not saved or broke down in tears because the presence of God was there or not it doesn't really matter because the going is what was a success on your be on your part did you step out were your obedience if the answer is yes then You were successful and I think we have to understand that. Of course it's important that people get saved. Of course it's important that people are healed. Yes, we want that, but I think so often we don't step out in faith enough because when we have, we've either been rejected or someone has said, yes, pray for me, or yes, tell me about Jesus, and they haven't given their lives to the Lord or they haven't been healed, and we go, shucks, I failed. There was an awesome testimony Terry shared last week about going to checkers she went to checkers i'm gonna give it to you in a nutshell she went to checkers she heard a lady complaining about her hip she heard the lord say to her pray for this lady or offer to pray for this lady she turned around and spoke to the lady and in short the lady was very rude and walked away cursing and cussing leaving terry standing bewildered going oh my goodness And Terry shared that, and we don't hear that many testimonies of those things happening, but I think we should. And we contrast it with with something like this. Brad and I were emailed an email the other day, last week. Um, And I'm not gonna share names, but this is what it says. Legit, I just wanna share how blessed I was this last week in Musenberg when I was approached by three young men from your church. I had been through some very trying times the past week and was clinging onto the Lord in the midst of all of this turmoil. I was sitting on a bench in Musenberg waiting for my three young children who were in a local church when these three young chaps approached me sharing the gospel. When they heard that I was a Christ follower, they asked if they could pray for me. I said, yes, pray for me and pray for my children who are very rebellious at this moment, and uh, my heart is broken about it. They prayed with such an anointing that the heaviness left me. I felt so blessed as my 13-year-old son had tried to take his life the week before due to being bullied, and I was feeling so overwhelmed. So thank you for the obedience to go and share the good news of Jesus. God bless. Now, that is a great testimony, but often we celebrate that more than we do Terry's testimony. That's our paradigm, that Terry's testimony was a failure and that this was a success. I want to say to you, they both were successes. That's a perspective shift that we have to have. It's a paradigm shift that we have to have. Yes, the guys praying for this woman in Musenberg were successful for her because she was ministered to. They could have been rejected. How would we have felt about that letter if it was a letter of complaint? I just want to say your church has no right to do this. These three young arrogant men came and they thought that they were going to pray for me. I think that's disgusting. You should let me be who I am without approaching me uncalled for. How would we have felt about it then? I think we should still feel the same way. This was a successful endeavor and terry stepped out these guys stepped out the fruit is sometimes different but before god we've been obedient and i think we need to hold on to that and realize that being the church in the world and fulfilling god's mandate is as much about you and your faith with god and your growth with the lord and becoming more like jesus as it is about the people you minister to we have to know when we understand that it becomes so much more encouraging and easier to step out in faith because regardless of the fruits of our faith step in someone else's lives, for us it's been an obedience thing. Going back to the paintball analogy quickly, when it came to paintball, adjusting my expectations and my and my and my perspectives, all it did was help me to enjoy the game a little bit more and to become a little bit better at the game. Adjusting your expectations and and your perspectives when it comes to being the church outside yields and results in eternal reward for you, and possibly the salvation and eternal reward of many other people. It's not an insignificant thing, being the church outside in the world. The second thing we need to do is pray. And this may seem like a very obvious thing, not so practical, but praying is an incredibly practical and powerful tool that God has given us in our arsenal. But I've got to ask myself, how many times as Christians do we honestly in the morning pray and ask God for the boldness to go and be the church? I think if we did that, more often we would realize just how practical and how powerful that tool of prayer really is. How often are we praying for God to embolden us in our schools, in our workplaces, on the sports fields, in the different clubs that we're part of, in in the societies that we're part of, in in our home environments? in our social groups? How, how often are we asking God for the boldness to preach the gospel and to be the church? How often are we asking Him for opportunities to 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 share faith with somebody or to, to share life with somebody in such a way that they can see Jesus through me? Are we pressing in and asking God daily for opportunities and boldness to do that? John shared last week the story of two of the disciples who were who were persecuted for sharing the faith in fact some of the religious leaders had called them aside and told them that they shouldn't be preaching and should stop and they were like we're not going to stop um, we're going to keep on preaching and, and the only reason why nothing was done to these guys was because um, the religious leaders were afraid of you know causing a row because these guys had prayed for someone and that got healed which was a success but ministry to the Pharisees was an absolute failure in the sense that they didn't respond they just got more angry and so what do the disciples do? They go back to the church and they, and they recount everything to the church and they, and they tell the church what happened. And it says this in Acts chapter 4, and, and when they heard it, basically, when the church heard this testimony of the disciples, it says, they lifted their voices together to God. Look, Lord, upon the hearts and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So when they, when they encounter resistance, when they encounter persecution, they expect it to happen. And what do they do? They pray. This is, this is what we do. We pray. This is a very practical tool. We pray. It says, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all full with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. He has the awesome thing when we ask God for his help. God says this in Matthew seven, if you are then evil, if you who are then evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And when we ask him for the spirit, he gives it to us and he gives us a spirit of power and love and self-control, not fear and timidity. We need to be praying to overcome fear. The third thing is to share our testimonies of success and failure and to be honest about how we feel I think more of us have got more testimonies than we know of about how we've tried and it hasn't been so well received I think those are successful testimonies testimonies of your obedience which encourage people more than you know I think sometimes we don't share with one another because we want the I stepped out in faith and this person was raised from the dead I stepped out in faith and i prayed for this marriage and they are not getting divorced in fact they're renewing their vows praise god and those are great testimonies but i think sometimes the reality is we've got far more testimony of of, of stories or far more stories of stepping out and and not actually being received well and those are just as powerful so we need to start sharing that with one another because what happens is when you share that and someone comes up and goes well done my sister well done my brother that was great. You know, the same thing happened to me, but praise God. This is what he said was going to happen, but we keep going. I think we need to be open with each other more and more. So how do we deal then practically with the issue of inadequacy or feeling like we're inadequate? Well, we're going to look just briefly at the, the book of John chapter 4, where Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman. Um, at a well and we're going to pick out just some very practical things that jesus did there because i think sometimes you know we feel like we don't have the right tools with which to engage with the world and i think sometimes we can go to scripture in fact all the time we can go to scripture and look for practical examples or practical tools or principles that we can use or strategies that we can use to engage with an unbelieving world but i want to start this section by saying this the only requirement for being the church in the world and you may or may not agree with me here but I've found that the only requirement for being the church in the world is that you love Jesus. That's it. That you love Jesus and are filled with the Spirit. You don't need a degree in theology. You don't need a special call. You don't need to be a deeply intellectual person. You don't need to be a pastor or a minister or a full-time missionary. You just have to be you, loving Jesus in the power of the Spirit. That's what you have to be. Uh, I'm just so encouraged by these words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says this, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. When you're in that moment where you need to speak to somebody and you don't have the words to say, trust me, the Lord will give them to you. You have it in you because the spirit is in you. Verse 20 says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Doesn't that encourage you? You don't need a degree from UCT to go minister to people. You don't need a massive bank account You don't need any of that stuff to minister to people because you're equipped with the Spirit of God. But we can equip ourselves with principles and tools and and strategies from Scripture. We're gonna look quickly, like I said, at John chapter four. We're not gonna read the whole thing, we're gonna read bits, we just don't have time to go through all of it. But one of the things that we need to learn to do is to make an effort and be willing to position ourselves in places where other people are not willing to be. In John chapter 4, it says this, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And it says in verse 6, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well. Now, if you read that story and if you understand some of the history of the Jews and the Samaritans, you'll, you'll know that that statement, Jesus had to go through Samaria, is not true. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. It was a deliberate choice on his part to go through Samaria. There were two other routes that you could have taken to go around Samaria, which every other Jew did, unless it was for business and they absolutely had to. I'm convinced that Jesus had to go through Samaria because the Father led him there. And they went around Samaria because they hated each other so much. Samaritans were viewed by the Jews as half-breeds because they were a mix of Jews And other races and so they hated them and 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 they went around Samaria for miles just so they didn't have to go through the land of the Samaritans and Jesus goes through and he positions himself in a place where other Jewish people wouldn't have positioned themselves I don't know what that looks like for you but maybe It's to position yourself in the office environment, in a place where people maybe wouldn't have necessarily chosen to position themselves because those people are there. Maybe it's you need to start attending certain family functions, social get-togethers. Maybe you need to pick up a sport or start going to watch sports practices, your friend's sports practices or or hang out somewhere where there are people who need to know Jesus. Maybe you need to start positioning yourself in a place that maybe you ordinarily wouldn't have positioned yourself. And hear me, I think it needs to be a God-led thing. And when you ask God, he'll show you. We don't just do it flippantly. Maybe you need to create the space by having um, some unsaved friends come around to your home more often. Maybe at school, you need to go hang out with the not-so-cool group of guys, you know the guys who, who aren't so welcomed by the popular crowd. Maybe you need to go hang out with some people that other people wouldn't hang out with or position yourself in a place where you can connect with people you ordinarily wouldn't connect with who need to have an encounter with Jesus. That's just something very practical you can do. And for many of us, it's going to mean having to deal with some of the prejudices and um, and and discrimination issues that we have still in our hearts. You're going to perhaps have to overcome issues of race. You have to deal with your discrimination and your prejudices there. With other religions and what people believe. With other genders and social classes. Maybe you just need to go shop somewhere different. Imagine the woman's surprise when a Jewish man speaks to her and asks her for a drink. He did something that no other Jewish man would have done at, in a place where no other Jewish man would have been. And here's the points. Be willing to place yourself in spaces where others aren't willing to be for the glory of the kingdom. That's something very practical. I was gonna read this whole long testimony of a pastor who got his church for three weeks to just do church somewhere else. He just, he says, all he asked them to do, I'm not gonna read all of it, I'm just gonna read some of it. He says, all I asked them to do was to take what we have been doing for eight weeks. They've been studying an evangelism course. He said, I just want you to go and now do this somewhere else. That's all I want you to do. You don't have to say that you're a Christian. And for the purposes of the experiment, he says, they were instructed not to gather together in prayer circles or to take their Bibles with them. They just had to go and do what they were doing for three or four weeks somewhere else and see if something different happened. And one of the guys says, do we have to say that we're Christians? And his response was no. He says, from the very first week and every other week after that, something happened. One of the things was that a survey at a restaurant shared about a sick sister that they had and they prayed for them. The coffee shop manager asked if the church had any musicians that would like to come and play every week in the restaurant. The book club that they were meeting in or that they went to go have their, um, their church in decided to put up a notice on the internet that the church was meeting there. And he says, you could go on and on and on and on. He says, but here's the point. Those encounters would never have happened if they hadn't done church somewhere else. If they hadn't deliberately positioned themselves somewhere where they hadn't positioned themselves before. He says, another point is that the specifics are particular to us, but the principle's not the same. They just took what they were so passionate about and what they were so really good at doing, and they moved it outside the church walls. He says... This drastically and dramatically changed their understanding of church and how church works, and they're still learning, and they're still growing. We just need to be doing what we're doing in here, out there, in places that people don't want to be doing what we do in here, and God will bring people to us in droves. It's just how God works. The other thing we learn from Jesus is that you need to try and learn or um Gain a common point of interest with the person or the people that you're wanting to minister to. Now, this isn't always going to be easy. This is speaking about where you have time to connect with somebody. But it says in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus says, will you give me a drink? They were both in need of water. They were both by a well. Jesus didn't have something to draw water with. She did. And Jesus goes, he has a common point of interest. Let let me speak, let, let me use this need for water to engage with her. And i don't know what that's going to be for you guys but you need to maybe just take a little bit of time and ask god, god how do i connect with this person and one of the easiest ways is a common point of interest for mandy and i just talk to us about our children and you got us talk to my wife about birthday presents and birthday party planning months you'll be talking right maybe it's a soccer team that you like or hiking that you enjoy maybe it's that you come from a divorced family Don't know what the point of interest is. Maybe it's that you're going through financial trouble. Maybe it's that you like surfing, that you like gaming. Don't know what it is. Maybe it's that you like music or singing or whatever. Find a common point of interest. Ask God for that and capitalize on that. We normally just like to bulldoze in there. Oh, this person needs Jesus. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. I'm a Christian. Come to my church. The other point is, the other practical thing to do is um, don't allow yourself to be restrained by spoken and unspoken social norms. You know, there's just things that exist. We just don't speak to those people. We just don't go to that area of the office or that area of the school. We just don't go, you know, to that area of the city. We just don't talk to those people. The Samaritan woman says to Jesus in verse nine, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She was shocked. Not only was a man speaking to her, Jewish rabbis wouldn't even speak to their wives in public. Now he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. And he's asking to drink from her cup. Where she's put her lips, he wants to as well. Samaritans or Jewish people who would walk through Samaritan on, on business would have a cleansing, washing afterwards. Yeah, Jesus is breaking all the spoken and unspoken social norms to minister to somebody. He, he is totally rewriting the way we love people and giving us this example of what it means to make ourselves available for the gospel. Just something very practical. The fourth thing we learn from Jesus is that if you have time with somebody, just practically take to reveal yourself to them you don't have to win somebody in a day or in a minute or in a couple of seconds if God gives you that opportunity fine if that's all the time you have like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch they didn't have much time right but God God ordained that meeting ministry happened the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized and saved and some believe that he was the first missionary up into northern Africa Great, if that's what you've got. But if you've got time, maybe take your time to reveal yourself and open your heart towards somebody. Jesus answers her when when she speaks about this water, when he speaks about this water that he has for her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus shares something about who he is and what he has for her, but he doesn't just jump straight to the point that she's sinful and needs him and that he's the Messiah. It takes his time to reveal himself. And I'm sure at this time is in conversation with the Father as well and receiving wisdom from the Lord as to where to go with this. People want us to be real and authentic and vulnerable, but we can sometimes become a little bit overboard with that too quickly and frighten people off. I we'll say, practically, just take your time. Even, even us as Christians, brothers and sisters, some of you are like freaked out when someone sits next to you and just starts speaking to you even if it's about spiritual things. Because we're human, we have our personal space and we have our understanding of what's okay and what's not okay. And I think we just need to be asking God for wisdom to engage with people and go, Lord, how do I reveal myself to this person? And slowly do that. And the last two things I want to mention is this. Don't ask someone to trust Jesus unless they've understood that they're a sinner. So often we just jump into Preaching the gospel and saying, Hey, do you want Jesus? and the person hasn't actually processed the fact that they really do need him because they're a sinner. And the reason why we do this is because we're trying to rush a success story. I want to get back, I want to tell people that I shared my faith and they got saved. It's not doing anybody any good. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied jesus said to her you are right when you say you have no husband the fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband what you have just said is quite true what jesus does there is bring her to a place where she realizes even if she did already in herself he's like you need to understand this is serious i know what's in your life and this is a sin issue and she would have felt guilty about that and most people in the village would have been telling her about that making her feel bad but jesus unpacks us for and reminds her that she needs a savior and then he reveals himself to her. We can't just jump to that with people. We need to slowly reveal ourselves when we have the opportunity, but not bring people to a place where they go, yes, I wanna give myself to Jesus and they haven't understood why they need him or why they're giving themselves to him, that they're even a sinner. We need to bring people to that place just practically. last thing is this John uh, I'm going to skip point number 7. The last one is this. Don't compromise the truth to win favor. And I think often we do that. Don't compromise the truth just just a very practical thing. Just equipping yourself to go and minister, don't 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 compromise the truth to win favor with somebody. Jesus was honest with the woman in a loving way. He didn't let her believe that she was all right and that things were okay just to win her favor and just to get to talk to her. He spoke to her and engaged with her in a loving way. What he did and, and how he interacted with her from the beginning reinforced for her that he was an okay guy to be speaking to. But when it came down to the tacky meeting in the tar, Jesus was honest with her. And the result was that she came to a place where she understood that he was the Messiah and he could give her everything she needed. And that's exactly what happened. And she goes and she ministers to and, and shares her testimony to the city that she was in and it says that many were saved from that city. I think if we allow God to lead us through us, people will begin to see who Jesus is. And if we just trust the Lord, overcome our fear adjust our expectations and our and our and our perspectives according to scripture and if we know that god has empowered us through the spirit and that we're not inadequate and there are some principles and tools that we can get from scripture that we can apply and we just apply them trusting god to use them you will become far more effective than you ever could have dreamed of or imagined for the kingdom there are other ways to equip ourselves as well when we run evangelism courses when someone who is really carrying the gift of evangelism shares with you or makes themselves available to talk to you, those are ways that we equip ourselves as well. God gives us each other to equip each other for this work. You are not inadequate. You are not someone who's bound to fear or by fear. You have the spirit of the living God in you. And when we go out there, we can be the church in an effective way for the kingdom. And that results in the glory of God. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going we're to pray.